0: Welcome, SaaS people, to the SaaS Revolution show, bringing you front row seats to the SaaS Revolution courtesy of SaaScribe Media. Uh, I'm your host, Alex Zuma, and uh, really excited to be joined today by none other than Heaton Sharp. Uh, welcome, Heaton.
1: Uh, glad to be here.
0: It's, uh, it's a real pleasure. Been wanting to have you as a guest on the show for uh, a long time. Now, I think, um, you know, once again, the discerning audience. Probably knows who you are, but uh, as we do intros for uh, for pretty much everybody, um, I'll just say that uh, Heaton is a, a world-class online marketer, uh, co-founder of uh, Crazy Egg and Kissmetrics, uh, curator of the awesome SaaS Weekly newsletter, uh, and by proxy, because of all of those, one of the uh, the biggest influences in uh, in SaaS land. Um, so, uh, I've I've got a, a few questions, obviously, around SaaS today. But I guess kind of before we get into that, um, uh, just an update from yourself. I mean, you've done uh, uh, what I call a, a Phil Lieben uh, move, or maybe he did a, a Heaton Shah uh, uh, sort of this year, and moved from the CEO chair. Uh, of metrics to um, uh, to president, uh, can you tell us uh, some of the reasoning behind that and uh, and what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, I didn't. I moved to the president role long before Phil did anything like that. Um, uh, I, I love the comparison, though. Happy <laughs> to be compared to Phil any day. Um, but. Um, I, uh, I actually am no longer involved in Kissmetrics even on the board or uh, in any capacity with the company beyond like I have equity in it because I started it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the idea was it was, just, it was just time to move on uh, mm-hmm. and do something new. We've had uh, two CEOs there. I was actually interim um, uh, CEO last year uh, and basically you know, the, the business uh, is, is doing great considering everything that happened. We had a pretty major lawsuit uh, mm-hmm. a while ago. Um, and, uh, it made it so we couldn't raise money for two years and we're battling a lawsuit. So that really, you know, made it so we couldn't really invest in growth, uh, at least from a cash standpoint. Um, so the business is pretty old now and I think it's time for someone else to have a whack at it. Uh, so that's what's going on there. Um, but yeah, one of the lessons learned there is like markets move really fast. So uh, I would say the SaaS, even the markets, the the categories, you know, with all these new companies coming in and and all this opportunity, uh, the markets are moving really fast, or getting crowded really fast. So those are some interesting observations, I guess, that I've had. Uh, and uh, yeah, so basically, my, the update for me beyond that is I'm back to working on Crazy Egg, which is a self-funded SaaS product. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, that creates heat maps where people are clicking on the page. We were one of the first. Uh, it's 10 years old, and we're probably the only ones that actually stayed true to just doing that. Uh, and that'll, that'll come to an end this year, 10 years in, where we're, we're going to start doing some other stuff uh, that will start launching later this year. Um, and then I uh, started working on a new company, which is really my co-founder's blog, QuickSprout. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're turning it into – we're building software. Uh, he's been blogging a lot about online marketing, content marketing, and doing a pretty good job of it. Uh, And we get about 700,000 visitors a month, and we're going to start building software to help people write better content and get more traffic.
0: Okay, well, so um, thanks for the update, first of all. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I really like the idea uh, about sort of building software to help content marketers because, um, you you know, certainly we see, or I I see that problem that, um, well, with so many companies out there, um, you know, needing to create content, that a lot of them have got this problem, right? So if, uh, uh, if, if you can sort of recognise that problem and create software for, to help people with that, then I think you've got a, a, an awesome business right there. Um, so uh, I, I guess sort of... Um, uh, talking about, you, you, you mentioned about the SaaS market sort of moving on um, and, and, and SaaS companies sort of in particular. I think there's a lot of uh, famous examples of SaaS companies that started out as consulting businesses um, and then, you know, transitioned to uh, the, the, the SaaS sort of business model. Um, Those seven signals to Basecamp, uh, Exceptional to Intercom, Elastic to Close.io and of course uh, Advantage Consulting Services to, to Crazy Egg. Um, why is that? Uh, you know, do we see that trend from services to to, to SaaS or to software? Um, you know, and will we continue to see that trend now that the barriers to market, you know, to entry for for SaaS or creating a SaaS company is so low?
1: Yeah, um, that's very interesting. I think it's just a certain type of pattern. Uh, many of us got really good at helping other people. Mm-hmm. Um, with their sort of, uh, in our case, it was their marketing. In 37signals' case, it was just uh, design and a little bit of product development. Uh, in Intercom's case, they did a whole plethora of stuff, focused starting with design. Um, and so uh, I think that as, as you get good at helping other people, you also get better yourself. And at some point, uh, I, I think many of us have the realization that by building software, um, we, you know, we can actually have more leverage, more... Uh, ability to kind of choose our own destiny with our business versus always having to get new customers and keep them happy. Uh, you're sort of working for yourself. So I think, you know, uh, that that being said, even consulting and services and all that side of things, it's probably the fastest, easiest way to make money. Uh, and everyone can have some, you generally has some expertise that they can do like that. So it's a way to fund your business or fund yourself early on if you don't want to go get a job. And then it evolves, I would say, into Sort of, you know, you make a business out of it, or you don't, and you just start working on a product just because, uh, you know, you're able to actually have that freedom to do that. So, I, th- I think it's a for many of us, it's, it was just simply, at least for us, it was an alternative to having to work for somebody else.
0: Okay, okay, and 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 talking of, uh, I guess, um, you know, funding the business uh, uh, in terms of fundraising, you know, do you think that, uh, I guess, in this day and age, uh, 2015. Um, uh, that too many founders, uh, you know, are focusing uh, too much on fundraising as their initial goals, rather than on actually uh, perhaps self-funding or selling, you know, their, their product.
1: Yeah, you know, um, I don't, I don't see. I, I, I used to see. I, I think there was a lot more confusion about self-funding versus venture funding, mm-hmm. right? uh, uh probably maybe even up to like three years ago, as recently as three years ago. And I'd say that a lot of that confusion has definitely dissipated. Uh, for example, since it's easier than ever to build, you know, write code and deploy it using AWS and, uh, and, and other things out there, um, it, you could build something. You could build something uh, on weekends, you mm-hmm. know, honestly. Uh, and you could even get users and some traction for it and still have a day job. So we're just seeing the barrier to creating something and getting a few customers down to like, you know, just, uh, you know, nights and weekends, Mm -hmm. right? And I think as that's happened, um, we're just starting to see, you know, these these companies come out there and and get, uh, and, you know, have a decent amount of traction, have more traction than ever. Uh, There's probably something kind of similar to Moore's Law uh, related to that, where it's Mm -hmm. like, you can get more customers faster than ever, uh, and it it just gets easier every year. Right? I think it's much harder to keep a customer, uh, especially with these markets getting crowded and it being so easy to build products. But at the end of the day, the, the more competition tends to create a lot more value than less competition. Obviously, if you're a competitor, you'd rather prefer to be number one and ideally have you know, as little competition as possible. From, but from an innovation standpoint, uh, more stuff out there, better in general.
0: You, you've uh, bootstrapped with Crazy Egg and uh, had venture funding with Guest Metrics. Um, you know, do you have any uh, particular sort of um, you, you know leaning either way as to uh, let's say? I, I know you, you're well working on QuickSprout and, uh, and and Crazy Egg as well. But if you were going to do a new business, um, you, you know, would you go down the VC road or uh, is, is there any preference?
1: Um, I think, uh, regardless of what route I take, I need a product and I need some ability to get customers. Mm-hmm. And and regardless of you know whether it's venture funding or self funding, I need those two things. And the, the 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 pattern I've seen is that over time, um, people are are take, getting investment when they're way further along. And so. My recommendation to anybody starting out today is I wouldn't worry about funding or self-funding or venture funding or anything like that. I'd focus on actually figuring out a product worth building, Mm -hmm. number one, and then building some level of that product, whatever you can accomplish, uh, and then trying to get some traction first before even considering the route you take with your business, um, if you can find a way to afford to do that. Otherwise, like many people, they don't have an option, right? And they have to go either seek funding um, you know, or or find ways to make ends meet while they're building their product. But what I'm seeing right now is, you know, it's been a long time since you could raise money on a PowerPoint, mm-hmm. basically, unless you were somebody who's already done it before. These days, that's not that's not it. It's, it's it's at the very least some level of a working prototype and some validation that you can actually build a product for most people.
0: Yep, no, no, a- a- absolutely, and uh, and good advice, uh, good advice there as well. So and and. Uh, I guess kind of on that startup theme, um, you and Stelly FD of uh, Close.io um, have a, a, a twice-weekly or bi-weekly uh, podcast, The Startup Chat, um, which I've been listening to and, you know, big big fan of. And uh, I think episode three, you were talking about the um, uh, freemium, uh, I think was the, the the title of it, and you sort of mentioned there that... Uh, the fastest-growing SaaS companies have a free pli- uh, all have a free uh, pricing plan, um, and uh, uh, you're an advocate of this uh, clearly. But uh, there are others, you know, who are in the camp of charging for the product out of the gate. And I think, you know, Stelly was also perhaps in, in the other camp. Or certainly, in the example of clothes, they didn't have a free plan. Um, you, you know, why, why is it that you believe in you know the free pricing plan, um, you know, for SaaS companies?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, really, it's about, at the end of the day, doing the right thing for your customer base, Mm -hmm. right? And in most markets today, your market isn't just an enterprise customer that wants demo requests, hand-holding, and all these other things. Or or even in some old-school industries, even with small businesses like HR, they still require all that, even when you're selling to small businesses. Um, And so the recommendation I would have would be, um, really consider the size of your market and whether you can offer something for free um, that can provide a ton of value that helps helps people sort of start already engaging with your business in a meaningful way with your product, ideally before they're even ready to like make a bigger leap and invest even more in it by paying for it. So to me, it's like doing the right thing for the customer. It's like, do they really want to sign up for a trial? Does anyone really want to try not sign up for a trial of a product? That's that's really the question. And to me, like, and I, I know I'm getting philosophical, but if you think about it right in a trial model you you get a bunch of customers in a month and if they don't convert within 30 days of them signing up you tell them to go away and uh i would just say that from a product standpoint from a business standpoint that's just bad that's like turning mm. people away that you know could hang around and use your product. I mean, they were motivated to sign up, right, and start a trial. Mm-hmm. So there was some something you should be able to do for them for free. Um, so that's that's just another way to think about it. Which is like, I don't think you're doing the right thing for the market and your customer if you do that. Now, the the, the irony today is like you're starting to see these trends where you have companies like Zenefits, Zenefits, and. Sort of a bunch of other ones that are sort of slowly creeping up that are providing the SaaS product for free and monetizing their customer base in a different way. You know, even if you look at Mint back in the day, it was a free product to manage your sort of expenses, budget, anything as a a college student, as a sort of from a personal finance standpoint. And then they built a lot of things around recommending things to you. Right and and try to make money that way. So that that trend is is kind of old, but now we're starting to see like full free products with no paid plans come to market. Um, and and you know I, I think the trend is only going in that direction. Of most more more and more products are going to be free.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I've I've seen certainly in you know trying out many SaaS products, um, you know, for scribe, that uh, you, you know, certainly there's been this trend of uh, like all free for life sort of model, um, but effectively you know once you're on there. Um, then there's going to be, you know, plenty of uh, sort of paths to the upgrade uh, once you're using that product. But uh, certainly it's something that, I, you know, I wanted to uh, discuss with you because I found that uh, episode of the podcast very, uh, very interesting and poignant. Um, and something else, um, you, you know, obviously I wanted to talk to you about is social selling. Um, and effectively, you know, I guess the question is, should SaaS companies be doing more, social selling, because I've seen, obviously, you're, you're pretty big on Twitter in terms of if you measure big being, you, you know, how many followers uh, that you've got. But also, you know, I think some of the, the uh, I, I guess, uh, tactics that you've used on Twitter, if we call them that, um, uh, I think with like Crazy Egg, was it before um, you, you even kind of uh, set up the, the company, you had like 23,000 uh, email signups that you have driven largely through Twitter now uh, I, I mean do you see that as uh, I, I guess kind of a uh, a really good sort of case for for companies to to kind of use channels like uh, Twitter and other social channels uh, a lot more perhaps than they are using today
1: yeah i mean I, I would just say that uh, whether it's marketing or selling or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. like it's a human to human process mm-hmm. right or or it's even there's an intermediary like a website right um, So to me, I think social selling, uh, at least the way it's defined is people define it as developing relationships as part of the sales process. You know, that's the basics of like how you'll see a lot of technical definitions for it. Uh, I'd venture to say that like um, it's not really social selling to me. It's just being human and being human with the channels that you have available to you. Right. Like even back in the day, this is nothing new. Back in the day, the way we would market things, uh, back in the day, meaning let's say five years ago, pre existence of facebook for anybody twitter and uh, you know even linkedin wasn't that big and, and a lot of these other platforms like pinterest didn't even exist we were doing social selling by commenting on people's blogs right it's not any different in my mind it's just an ability for you to say something in a social setting a blog in the comments area is essentially a social setting um and i think so are all these social media sites so So for me, it's about relationships and building them. And the easiest form of it is not even sales for me. It's like if someone mentions my brand, my company, um, in any kind of light, it's my job if I'm there, either as me, you know, my account, my personal account, or my company's account to respond, right, and act Mm. in a sort of responsible manner, to be honest, right? Because look, if someone's going to have a problem with my business, I want to help them solve their problem. That's not cool right? If someone's praising the business, I, I, I want to retweet it. I want to amplify that, right? One, because it's good for me, obviously, right? But two, someone's endorsing the product publicly, right? Or endorsing my brand publicly. And that's that's huge. So to me, like, it's not just about sales. It's about being human and, and using our channels that we have available to us on the internet to be human. And so it's cool that we have a name for it. And, and you know, I know sales people love putting names to stuff just like marketers do. But, like, it it... This is how we do it, you know? Like, this is how it should be done. It's just like back in the day when you, you, you know, try to knock on someone's office and, and get in their door, right? Schedule a meeting with them, whatever. Same thing, right? But instead, you have this opportunity because there's so much more going on on these online channels where you can start actually helping people uh, in real time when they need it.
0: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And uh, I think we, we, we covered that uh, sort of topic um uh, in a previous podcast with uh, with Jill Rowley who's uh, um, yeah. you know a, a big evangelist around sort of social selling but um yeah definitely uh, as you say sort of being human you know that that's effectively you know what it is and it, it, you know whether it's selling on Twitter or commenting you know on blogs it, it's just how things are kind of done today right uh, Um, And and I think, you you know, talking, I guess, kind of, you know, online marketing, selling marketing, you know, both yourself and Neil Patel, um, your uh, sort of co-founder, business partner, um, you know, uh, are are masters at the arts of uh, online marketing and, you know, your personal brands and uh, your, your company sort of marketing. Uh, uh, sort of playbooks of you, you know, I guess it's like you you've written the playbook on uh, online marketing. But if if you were to write the the actual sort of online marketing playbook for for SaaS startups, what would your what would be your number one marketing strategy tip?
1: Um, yeah, I think I might have said this before, but I, I would say share everything you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, some of the best marketing these days comes from People who are sharing what they know, sharing, educating, helping people learn things, and especially when you're a B two B SaaS business, like it's it's imperative. Like if you're the go to source for someone's education about the market or the or marketing, in the case of many of my blogs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, you, you you're building a brand before they even get to use your product. It's great, right? And it's a much easier way to pull people in. So you know, many would call that inbound marketing or whatever right? To, to me, it's like the number one strategy you have is what you know. The number one asset is what you know and wh- how you can help people uh, with that knowledge. And so, you know, examples of this are like, I-, I would say that the poster child of this was actually 37 Signals, now Basecamp. Mm-hmm. Back in the day when they would share things like that nobody was sharing, nobody was talking about A-B testing when they were talking about it for a SaaS business. You know, um, uh, another favorite example is Intercom with their blog if you're a product person, there's no way you're not reading that blog mm-hmm. uh, because they, they give you lots of deep insights into how to make better products. And just like they do, they've built a killer product and they talk about how they did it. And that's what they know, right? And they even share internal tech talks and videos uh, and stuff like that on their blog. So I would say that there's a lot of great examples out there of, of this tactic I'm talking about. And the, the beauty of this specific tactic is that I think it's, it turns into a strategy. Once you start getting good at it, you start doing more. Another example would be the folks at Groove, Groove HQ. Mm-hmm. Um, they shared their journey to 100K MRR on their blog from day zero. And uh, they call it the startup journey. It's like a startup journey blog. And it's pretty awesome. I've done an interview on it and other things like that. They're at 186,300K MRR. Uh, or I'm sorry, 186,000K 186, uh, or 186,000 MRR. Sorry. Um, and now they're sharing the journey to 500K, right? So, I think share what you know, like, and, 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 and just, just try to educate people that way. And that, that's, that's the strategy that's working right now. And more importantly, I think it's the most human one we have.
0: Okay. And, um, awesome. And, uh, I guess, um, with your, uh, well, Quick Sprout plans, the, 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 the software that you're sort of creating for Quick Sprout to help sort of content marketers, um, you know, is there going to be this, uh, uh, I guess kind of, um, par- partnership uh, uh, um, for um, uh, sharing what you know within the software kind of built in
1: yeah uh, we don't know what we're going to do there we, we do know that the brand my co-founder Neil has built off of Quick Sprout is all based on sharing what he knows I mean he's got some of the best posts around that even some of the patterns he's learned about what makes people click on those posts a lot of other people have sort of imitated um, and got inspired by uh, so he was like one of the first uh Sort of come up with certain patterns. He's even got a hundred k a month challenge going on where uh, he's we're, you know we're building a new blog and we're trying to get it to hundred k in revenue a month uh, and we're sharing everything about how we do that. So a lot of that's already baked into like the content on the on the blog and and so when we think about the the product, it's actually the truth is it's we have an advantage because you sign up for it, right? So since you're signing up for it. Uh, we have a, a lot more information about your blog and other information like that, and your own data, so we actually invert it and make it more about you and your content and how you can do better uh, and The whole goal of that business is to help you increase traffic. The content will help you increase your traffic, and the software will help you increase your traffic and The main way today is going to be essentially helping you write more effective content uh, and if you know a, a lot of that has to do with tips and tricks that we 've already shared on the blog uh, through the content
0: okay, awesome, so I look forward to keeping an eye out on uh, on those. And um, I, I guess kind of outside of the, those ventures that we've spoken about, you know, Quick Sprout and Crazy Egg, um, you do a lot of advising with a number of startups. And uh, I guess from that, um, you you know, you must learn uh, a lot. Um, and, you know, is there anything that you could share, you know, perhaps from those learnings in terms of perhaps sort of commonalities and problems that you've seen, um, you know, with uh, the, the SaaS startups asking you for a advice um, that perhaps you know those that are listening or, or reading maybe could learn from.
1: Yeah absolutely so I've got one thing that's uh, super fascinating to me as I've talked to a lot of companies especially SaaS companies about growth and marketing and even like revenue and one of the most interesting things uh, I've learned is that there isn't as much standardization as you'd expect so the way that one company writes blog posts or the way that another company does their paid advertising, it's not going to be the same across companies. And so, you know, when you read a lot of the content out there, it's very prescriptive in like, you should do this, or I did this, it worked for me, you know. uh, There's not enough taking it to the point of, this is how you can make it work for you. Um, and, And realizing that this content is just out there, and it's just how somebody did something, you're supposed to get inspired by it versus trying to directly apply it to your business all the time uh, because that just tends not to work. So I've seen a lot of people make that mistake of trying to repeat what someone else did successfully um, and having problems doing it because their market is different, their product is different. Timing, right? The the, the way the world is today is different. Like you couldn't build a Twitter audience like we did with Kissmetrics in the same way that we did back then right now because these channels, they get saturated and new ones come up, right? So um, I would say that what worked for someone else won't necessarily work for you. Your job is to get inspired by what they've done and, and be inspired by everything and use, use the information you have about your customer base and your product and your market and your business and the timing of right now to figure out what strategy you should use. So the, my biggest piece of advice is figure out what's unique about you and, and make that the thing that you sort of market uh, and how you do your marketing. And that doesn't mean you're just copying tactics or growth hacks or whatever from other people.
0: Okay, awesome. Yeah, thanks for that. And um, uh, I guess we we've got, we've got uh, sort of two final uh, sort of questions given the um uh, the, the the time that we've got left. So, and they're they more kind of personal questions uh, to to you. Uh in that one um uh you're a, a proponent of lifelong learning. Um, and uh, so I guess I, w- I want to know and hopefully the readers and listeners do too. What what are you doing now that exemplifies that philosophy?
1: Yeah. Um That's a good question. Uh, I've talked a lot about some of the things I do. I listen to audio at two x speed or three x on Audible, and I've gotten very used to it to the point where I'll even watch movies and TV shows at two x. If I yeah, uh, when I'm watching them alone, so I can binge watch things. Faster than you. So for me, it's a you know. There's an interesting thing I do where you know a lot of people will say when you have opportunities or stuff like that, you should say no more or you used to say yes more or whatever depending on the mood they're in, they'll give you different advice. For me, like I I'm hungry for knowledge and information, so I say yes more, and I go spend my time to learn. And if I'm gaining knowledge and information. Uh, then that's just feeding my engine, right? And, and that, that engine is what I use to help myself, help other people. And so the more I know, the more, you know, the more information and data I have, I, I feel like it's my job to sort through it. So I tend to actually say yes a lot more than most people would say yes, but that also teaches me how to deal with more. So a lot of folks ask, like, how do you get all this stuff done? I'm like, I just pile it on and, and I don't feel overwhelmed and I learn and I deal with how to deal with more. And that, that's what I also mean but like how do I think about information and lifelong learning? To me, it's like this whole 2X thing is like how do I get more information and process it and consume it faster? And then over time, I learn how to deal with it. So I might, it might feel like a fire hose in the beginning, like uh, you know, like a fire hydrant opened up and all the water's coming at you and you're being waterboarded or whatever. Uh, but eventually, you get used to it and you almost start liking it right? And that, that's when the magic happens and you start really making connections and having uh, sort of faster progress, right? Because like, it, it, to me, like that lifelong learning has a lot to do with like creativity and innovation and all those kind of things I value very highly.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, I've, I've not tried uh, watching, uh, you, you know, well, uh, anything at, at 2X or 3X or listening to anything at 2X or 3X, but, I, you know, coming to think of it, there's probably a few movies that I wish that uh, I'd watch it 3x or, 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 5, <laughs> Good or 5x. But, Good um, one. Yeah, I thought, I, I thought I'd throw that in there. But um, a final, um, final sort of question now. If if you were to start another SaaS company, uh, had to choose another co-founder, which couldn't be Neil Patel, who would you choose and why?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, huh. Yeah, I don't think I have a specific person, to be honest. I think there's there's, there's some awesome people out there that are busy, right? Um, and that are friends of mine that I'd love to explore and, and work with. And a lot of them are either complementary uh, to my skill set or they're people that I feel I can learn from. Um, but generally, just in, in doing that, I would just I would literally, just from a practical standpoint, figure out what I'm actually really good at. And then figure out where, where the things I'm bad at and find people that are good at what I'm bad at. So for me, product, engineering, design, all those things I value very highly and care about. I also care about growth. Uh, and then my co-founder cares a lot about sales and marketing. Um, and he also thus cares about growth as well. So I think growth is a commonality. So I'd probably aim for people that understand growth and the imperative of innovation and growth. And and that, that would I would pick from people like that. So you can think of folks all the way from like Andy Johns, Brian Balfour, uh, a friend of mine at, at Facebook named Alex Schultz, because that skill set of growth and understanding growth from a product standpoint, I think is very rare. And in, in anybody that I work with, if it weren't Neil, that that's probably something that uh, believe it or not would be actually pretty complimentary and also uh, complement a lot of the things that I want to I. Want to get better at, but don't don't necessarily consider myself the best.
0: Okay, awesome, awesome, thank you. So, um, yeah, we, we we've come to the end of the show, and uh, I, I mean, it's been you know fantastic, jam packed, full of uh, insights, and uh, um, uh, all I have to say is uh, you know thank you very much for uh, uh, being our, our special guest uh, uh, today, and uh, for the audience that uh, are listening, uh, we'd love it if you'd rate to review the show on uh, on iTunes. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you, Heaton.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks
0: for having me. It was fun. Yeah, you're welcome.